From the sports desk of the Ames Tribune, Ames, Iowa, the home of the Cyclones. This is the Cyclone Slant. With sports editor Travis Hines. Now, the Cyclone Slant. Hello and welcome to a post-bowl edition of the Cyclone Slant podcast brought to you by Ames Ford Lincoln. I am Ames Tribune sports editor Travis Hines, and this is not only the Cyclone Slant podcast, but it is a uh, crossover podcast, much like uh, Omar Little and Brother Muzone, Superman and Batman, Predator and uh, Alien, Freddy, Jason, I'm Superman, team up crossover podcasts. I'm joined by the Des Moines Register, part of the new Gannett group of media properties along with the Ames Tribune, Tommy Birch. Tommy, what's going on? Not much. That was uh, that was a kind of a boring football game to watch through the, the second half of the game. That football game, which we haven't even mentioned yet in this podcast because we're uh, <laughs> professional podcasters, Iowa State loses the Camping World Bowl 33-9 to to Notre Dame. Iowa State turns it over twice in the first eight minutes, falls behind early no magic, or no, not even the near magic that they've had this year against Baylor, against Oklahoma. Um, really just got pretty well dominated, might be like one degree too strong of sentence, but absolutely Notre Dame controlled this football game from start to finish. They were clearly the better team. Um, I think they were they were better prepared right from the outset, and I think they just had a better game plan, and their players certainly executed better than Iowa State's. They look like a 10-win football team, and Iowa State played like a 7-win football team. Not like the football team that I think everybody had kind of been raving about that had said, oh, it's a team that could have won 8, 9, 10 possible games this season. I think you saw exactly why Iowa State still has a ways to go before they reach that upper echelon of where you're talking about them winning 9, 10 games during a season. This, to me, kind of resembled the Texas game last year where you saw the talent gap that existed between Iowa State taking that next step as a program, that there is still a noticeable gap that still has to be shortened before Iowa State makes that next leap. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I thought there was a gap. I don't know if it was a talent gap, though. I mean, I think Iowa State, to me, looked just as talented. They just failed to execute time and again. And the, the way that they were unable to really corral Notre Dame with Claypool going for the wide receiver for Notre Dame, seven catches, 146 yards, a touchdown. Like Anytime Notre Dame needed a play, they went to him, and Iowa State was not prepared to really, I think, isolate him in terms of game planning and coverages to keep the ball away from him. And I think that is a big part of it. I'm not, I don't want to lay it all on the feet of the coaching staff, but I feel like Notre Dame had a plan that was, they went out and executed better than Iowa state. And that's, I don't know how you isolate coaching staff versus players there, but that was just not a crisp performance. I think all around by Iowa state. Yeah. And I think what probably leads or kind of gives you some more ammunition to make that argument is that we've, kind of seen this a couple of times from Iowa State teams over the last couple of seasons where they stumble to the finish line two years ago, even though they did win the Liberty Bowl. They struggle at the end of the season. Last season, they barely beat Drake. They were overmatched in the Alamo Bowl. I mean, they were they were in that football game, but it felt like they were 
not the more talented team in that game. They just got outplayed and maybe outcoached to a, a certain degree. And you saw it again at this time this season where you had K-State just completely dominate Iowa State. Iowa State was in that game, but it never really felt like they were in that game. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I mean, I think where they go now, seven and six of the six losses, I think only two would I really say, if you take the whole 60-plus minutes of football game in the case of Oklahoma, only twice I think they were really disappointing performances. Today's one of them, frankly, yeah. and K-State. The other four losses, while not great, you could say like there were positives. There was a team that competed to the end. Obviously, they lost close games, you know, bad three quarters against Baylor and Oklahoma, but riveting fourth quarter performances. That just never materialized today against Notre Dame. And I'm sure there's a variety of reasons for that, but this just did not look like a team that was ready to compete on the level with a top 15, 10-win team, um, which you need to be able to do. Um, you need to look like that if you want to wanted to use today as a launching pad into 2020, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, down the line, but this is a uh, this is a giant thud to end a year that had already had its fair share of thuds, um, and this maybe is the worst, just because you had a month of buildup, you had a lot of things pointed in your direction, and then it just went sideways from the start. Yeah, and I think probably the other issue, if you're an Iowa State fan, that probably bothers you is a lot of the same mistakes Iowa State made today, they're making throughout the season. Go back know. to you and I, it was all the same yeah. stuff. Slow starts, uh, not finishing drives, turning over the football. To me, the most glaring one is not capitalizing on turnovers. I mean, we saw Marcel Spears miss out on a possible interception. We saw another interception that could have been grabbed. Just how many times throughout the season, how many different games have we said, man, Iowa State had two or three opportunities to turn the football over. Two years ago, when Iowa State was kind of playing at its peak performance, I think during that run to the Liberty Bowl, I think that's kind of when we saw Iowa State at its best. They were winning in the margins. They were getting those turnovers. They were making those things happen. Those breaks that you create on your own, Iowa State just hasn't been capitalizing. It's not just this year. I mean, special teams were an issue for Iowa State last season, too. Well, Here's what I – this is maybe reactionary to a season that did not – live up to expectations, whether they were internal or external expectations, and a bad finish to the year. But I think it's worth questioning. Campbell's philosophy, the things that he talks about publicly and I imagine privately with the team, about winning situational football, winning in the margins, some of that, if you're having to do that, you're putting yourself at the whims of luck, of circumstance, and of chance, frankly, because sometimes you can create turnover. Sometimes you got to get lucky that a quarterback makes a bad throw or a running back doesn't put his hand on the ball. You have to hope that when your quarterback throws in and gets deflected, it lands harmlessly on the ground and not going the other way for 75 yards. When you put your when you put so much emphasis, I think on those plays that you can't always dictate or that you have to get that fourth and one that puts you in a position where if that doesn't go right, things go very wrongly, very quickly. It's just, I wonder Maybe that is the best path for Iowa State. Maybe that is just the way it's got to be. But I think we saw the how that can work against you when you lose a game by one at home to Iowa, by two to Baylor, by a two-point uh, conversion against Oklahoma. 
um, and on down the line or today where you have two early fumbles and you're just not able to get back into it because you're in this hole and because you're playing a team that's motivated, that has, you know, a strong team and you're not able to get that fourth down conversion on two separate occasions. And I, I think that's just where if you're compressing the margins so much or living in a world where the margins are so compressed, it's just one or two of those gets away from you and you get a day like today and you get a season like today where you had a lot of talent and a lot of opportunity and you look up at the the board at the end of the day and you're seven and six with what one good win all year long yeah Texas. Texas yeah but I would say when it comes to winning in the margins I think you take into account I, I think Campbell when he's talking about that it's not kind of those x factor ones that you were talking about you know passes that get deflected I think it's more like when he's saying win in the margins it's not suffering self-inflicted wounds you know not shooting yourselves in the foot you know not getting penalties and costly moments and on that grading scale wasn't this season like a massive massive disappointment because they did all of those things 100 percent. yeah I mean I, I I would say this season was a disappointment not just because of that but because we're talking about we're talking about a team that won seven games and so much was made about, hey, this is a great opportunity for Iowa State to play Notre Dame and to play in the Camping World Bowl. When did Iowa State really belong in the Camping World Bowl? You can make logical, fair arguments that, you know, outside of Iowa State's esteemed fan base, Oklahoma State, Kansas State probably earn those quote-unquote opportunities ahead of Iowa State. If if Iowa State doesn't even get to the Camping World Bowl, this whole discussion in terms of disappointing season is we're having this conversation long before the bowl game even takes place. Yeah, I mean, like when it comes to the business of college sports, deserve ain't got nothing to do with it. 100% agree, yeah. And uh, so Iowa State got there because they got there. But I understand, like if they were playing a lesser opponent – if they were in, I don't even, like, what were the, who would they be playing if they were in the Cheez-It or the, yeah. the Liberty Bowl? I mean, just the fact that yeah. you're even going to those bowl yeah. games, I think, epitomizes that, hey, this this season has not gone where you would want yeah. it to. Camping World and Notre Dame. Camping World. What a, like, <laughs> who came up with, like. It used, it didn't it used to be the, um. Some kind of sportswear company bowl. Regardless, I mean, I do, like can, like I, it's hard to craft more absurd sentences than "Wow, the the prestigiousness of the Camping World Bowl really gave Iowa State an opportunity to salvage its season." Is like, there what, really, are, what are the words that we're saying right now? Is there any bowl game outside of the Alamo Sugar? You know, uh, well, anything you got to call by the spot, like where you only have the option to call by the sponsor's name. You sound stupid. Well, the Tostitos. Yeah, but that's the Fiesta Bowl. You don't have to say the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, but you get where I'm going. I mean, even Alamo has the Valero. I know, but you don't say that. You say the Alamo Bowl. True. I'm saying the ones where you have no choice, like, <laughs> like the Boise Idaho Potato Bowl or the you know Mulan Weed Eater Bowl or the Camping World Bowl or the Cheez-It Bowl. I have no options there. Like they figured out. What it they is. figured out very quickly that we have to get rid of the like the. Rose Bowl sponsored by AT and T. They just got it's just the AT and T Bowl. That's that's the only way to make me repeat these corporate sponsors over and Liberty over again. wasn't bad. I mean, I know that's what I'm saying. You don't call it the pen. What was it? AutoZone Liberty Bowl. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I feel like you're not getting my point. <laughs> no, I but anyway, we're, we're on a major digression here. But yeah, like 
you probably spend the last month lamenting the close calls and the coulda, shoulda, wouldas for Iowa State <laughs> if they're in the Cheez-It, if they're in the Liberty Bowl, rather than being amped if you're an Iowa State fan to get one nice primetime, um, uh, like, high-profile shot of really putting a, an exclamation point on this season and t- flipping it forward to 2020. And maybe that backfired because you just basically got, again, like a degree short of pummeled by uh, by a better football team. It was, really... I mean, it was completely lopsided. I mean, even though the the Kansas State game was domination by Kansas State almost from start to finish, and Iowa State was kind of in that game, it's been two years. I mean, even I, I would say you're talking uh, Matt Campbell's second season or first season since you've seen Iowa State just not just completely dominated, but just lay a complete egg. We never felt like they were in this game. Yeah, there was no, I mean, all we were talking at halftime, it was like, they, it feels like they're getting their butts kicked pretty good, but having seen this played out before, like, Purdy's going to go make a play, Brees Hall's going to break one loose, or, uh, you know, Marcel Spears, or, you know, Ray Lima, somebody was going to go make a play, get Iowa State back in this, and maybe they don't win it, but it's competitive and close, and that just never materialized from start to finish. Nobody made a play for Iowa State of big enough consequence to even make this thing interesting after the <clears throat> the way that they botched the start and bungled things throughout. I mean, you go back the fourth and one out of the the uh, the shotgun where Brees Hall just got gobbled up. The fourth they knew and one where Brock Purdy gets sacked. I mean, it's just we've seen Iowa State in those special situations, those where they want to be good get sideways sometimes in the fourth and one the plays in the red zone even like on drives a lot of times where they score in the red zone it feels like it takes them a lot more work than it needs to because of some the play calling all of a sudden gets kind of funky in the red zone we saw it early in Campbell's tenure we saw it last year without Tom Manning and we saw it this year just for what who's that however the game plans get in the red zone things just feel uh, uh, just tilted in there with the decision making with the play calling where things are do not run as smoothly as they seem to do in the 80 yards prior. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, during the game you see it just everybody ripping Tom Manning. And obviously, as the offensive coordinator, you shoulder a great, you know, deal with the responsibility for the offensive, you know, struggles throughout the game. But it's like you said, you know, this funky play calling when it comes to inside the 20s, we saw it last year and Tom Manning wasn't there. So I think – that leads me to believe that Matt Campbell's got his hands on the offensive cookie jar more than we really believe or somebody else does. You know, they've always talked about what a collective, um, you know, uh, collective effort. Know, effort it is by the entire staff. So I don't think Tom Manning should take all the blame, but obviously a lot. And it's and not just play calling, too. I mean, legitimate, you know, there was funky play calling, but then your Tom like, Manning didn't jump off sides on the three yard line. Like, your, that was your players did not, you know, ter, you know, Tom Manning did not fumble, you know, the uh, the punt. You know, Tom Manning did not, you know, fire some air and throws by Brock Purdy or had Tom terrible Manning, ball control on that fumble. And the offensive line just did not play well at all. They outside. I felt like outside that first carry by Brees Hall, they were doing nothing to help him, and Brock Purdy was constantly on the run and pretty much everything that you kind of feared for this Iowa state game for Iowa state kind of came true because you knew 
that Notre Dame was going to have a great defensive line that was going to cause the issues. And that problem only became more monumental when you don't have Julian Good-Jones out there. Yeah, to that, the Campbell spent most of the week pushing back on questions, rumors, speculation that Julian Good-Jones would be suspended. Um, said that he was, I think, what, dinged up, banged up. I think we heard maybe both version. Uh, practiced during the open portions to the media of practice. Did not play today. So whatever happened there, I guess at this point for a guy on his uh, – his career ending, whatever, but didn't play. Um, and I don't know, did that hurt them that much? I mean, it, I think it, it impacted. It I mean, you're having to rotate pieces to the offensive line. And when you're already going against a really tough defensive line, hurt in, you want as much continuity and experience. I mean, this is a guy that started 49 straight games. So it plays a role. It's not the problem. In the game, it's it's just to me, it's just another layer of all the issues for Iowa State. Julian Good Jones plays in this game. Iowa State still loses this game. Offensive line was not the only issue, but it was an issue for Iowa State. Yeah, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the offense for Iowa State today. But I mean, it is absolutely needs to be noted. Notre Dame goes for 455 total yards, pick up 17 first downs. They were three of 13 from on third down, but go two of two on fourth down. Average seven yards a play, 5.6 yards a rush. Um, just not a great day for John Haycock's group in the uh, on the defense. Here's what I kind of Both wonder about. Both goes 20-28. Jones rushes for 135 yards. We mentioned Claypool having a monster game. Here's uh, what I kind of wonder about. A lot of catches too. When it comes to Iowa State's defense, at least in the first half, they kept them in that game. They were con- Iowa State's constantly turning over the ball. They're constantly. I mean, how how much in that first quarter was Iowa State's defense on that field, where they were constantly just going out there and just getting drained um, early on. I think I, I think what happened is that defense ended up just crumbling in the second half, where they could they kept them afloat for only so long. And when your offense isn't doing anything, you're you're eventually going to break. And I think that's what they did there. I I put a lot of the troubles, I think, on the defense on Iowa State's offense. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I'm probably less forgiving than you are because I think we saw all year the depth of the defense. Where I don't know that I feel like they should have been able to. I mean, they did well early. I feel like continuing that was not a Herculean effort. And they gave up 33 points. To me, like, the 455 yards is probably more concerning. And some of it, like, Notre Dame probably could have put two more touchdowns on the board in the fourth quarter if they wanted to. Um, It just was not a great game for anybody today. It just was just a tough, tough afternoon for Iowa State football. Well, the biggest thing, I think, when you look at Iowa State and you talk about everybody having a rough afternoon – all their legitimate playmakers struggle. I mean, you're talking Brock Purdy, 17 and 30, 222 yards, no touchdowns, sacked three times. Now, Grant, the, all the sacks aren't on him. You're talking about uh, Brees Hall, 17 carries, 55 yards, no touchdowns. Charlie Kohler, three catches for 22 yards. That might Offensive. be the most disappointing, I think, if you're Iowa State, that you weren't able to get Kohler more involved. Especially yeah, he didn't even zone. get targeted until late in the first quarter. And that might be your biggest offensive weapon right there. Brock Purdy definitely was not your typical Brock Purdy. Usually we have seen this where 
you you see Brock Purdy is not on his A game, but he eventually snaps out of it. I, I, I keep going back to the Baylor game, the Kansas game. What you had talked about earlier was the idea that Iowa State always ends up storming back and kind of having this miracle um, fourth quarter that at least gets them in the game. That never happened. Part of the reason was Brock Purdy just never really got into a rhythm. Now, it's not all his fault. His offensive line didn't help him. There were some drop passes. Everybody played pretty poorly for Iowa State. Yeah, and Purdy also left the game with a left ankle injury. I've been checking. <laughs> Nobody has been has tweeted any updates from Campbell. I wouldn't expect any real updates from Campbell today. Um, we have kind of heard at least kind of the quote-unquote idea that Brock Purdy's maybe been a little dinged up by the end of the year. but Sure, but this, I'm specifically this, about yeah. the left ankle. Yeah, exactly. We don't know exactly what was going on. Uh, he did come back out to the sideline after going to the – to the locker room. I don't know if that's I did, an indication. I, I, I will say, and it, it did always kind of stand with me, it kind of stood with me, where I remember during one of the uh, one of the press conferences, Campbell, had t- you know, Campbell gets asked about the health of his team, and you kind of expected him to talk about Greg Eisworth, guys like that. And the one name he had brought up kind of first and foremost as a guy that probably benefited from this time off during the bowl prep was Brock Purdy. So I'm interested to see what he says about that. I mean, I think it's pretty predictable that Matt Campbell is going to say it's a kid that's been battling through, you know, dinged up injuries throughout the season. That's just what we hear at the end of the season. Guys have been playing hurt. But I'm, I'm nonetheless still interested to see what he has during the actually during the first half. I mean, you did see one time where Brock Purdy went down, looked like maybe I don't his think arm it was or chest kind of area. Yeah, I don't think it was his throwing shoulder. But I mean, everybody was out of funk today. Yeah, tough, tough game. <clears throat> I think arguably tough season for Iowa State. I, I don't think there's a lot of positives like big overarching positives to take out of the season where you feel really good. I mean, Brock Purdy obviously was great. Brees Hall you found like your, a star. You found your running back. I think now you lose your offensive line. Yeah. I, uh, there are glimmers of hopes there. Um, yeah, I guess for the future, I mean, like, to look at this year and be like, well, this is where we got the most out of this yeah, State football uh, team. I don't think that happened, frankly. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when you talk about all those close calls – I think Matt Campbell likes to say, look, we're in every one of those games. I look at it from the perspective of those are missed opportunities that you should have won. Maybe not the the Oklahoma game, but I think back to, man, Baylor, you just get one more stop. or um, Almost one means you lost. Yeah. Right? Like, and means you weren't good enough to get it done. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you, if that happens now six times in a season, like that's that's who you that's are. pretty definitive on who you were for the 2019 football team. You may have been close, but a close loss is still a loss. loss. And there are times. Uh, why I mention the Oklahoma game is I feel like that's the only game where uh, during those kind of close losses, you're like, okay, they are a superior football team. They are better than Iowa State outside of maybe like a seven minute stretch. Iowa State got back into that. Uh, the uh, the Iowa game just looms on that schedule where you're like, man, you outplayed Iowa for most of that game, and you lost. Like, if you don't botch a punt return, you're probably winning that game, I would guess. Yeah. 
And I, I feel like when we go back through a season, we think about the U and I game. That was like a precursor to what you're dealing with. Although the Except only the exact thing, opposite, yeah, <laughs> where you knew every game was going to be a battle, but every other game, Brock Purdy doesn't fall on that fumble. Somebody else does, and you lose that football game. All right, we talked about this game for 25 minutes. Should we take some questions, or do you have any other? Thoughts that the people need to hear. <laughs> no, I don't think they want to hear any more about this game. All right, well, we're going to go to your Twitter questions right now. Uh, some are better than others. <laughs> um, we're going to start with uh, Mike Honcho, which I'm sure is a real name. Can either of you call plays for Iowa State next year? I can't. I, I will do it for 800 grand. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it for 400 grand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't get out of bed for less than. <laughs> yeah, we both can. It's funny how quickly they have turned on Tom Manning. When Tom Manning, when it when it came back out, Tom Manning's coming back. The uproar of oh my god, he's so this one's going to take Iowa State to the next level. You have to accept the fact that Matt Campbell, uh, some of this funky play calling falls, you know, does fall on the shoulders of Tom Manning, like we said, but also. Matt Campbell, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the performances of both coordinators and almost, and to a larger degree, offensive coordinators always, they're the easiest targets. Yeah. Uh, because you don't hear from them as much. They don't get credit for the successes as much. Um, offensive play calling is easier to criticize. Yeah. Too. So, I mean, like, I'm not ready to, like, really bash Tom Manning. I'm not a football coach. No, Iowa State I'm, fans are. Yeah, huh? that's fine. I mean, like, I get it. I absolutely get it. Like, they, <laughs> they scored nine points today. Um, they deserve a lot of criticism. Like, in terms I think they of do hiring entire, me for the offensive coordinator job, like, maybe that's what I think they do for the entire season, too, where we talk about all these historic numbers that Iowa State put up in terms of yardage, average per game, you know, Great season from Brock Purdy, you know, Brace Hall emerging, but did you ever feel like the offense reached its full potential, maxed out? That's what Steve Prome always says, maxing out. I, I, I never th- felt like they did. I think you have what <clears throat> might prove to be the best quarterback in program history, a promising young running back. One of the best tight ends. A fantastic tight end and a above-average receiving core, and I never felt like Iowa State's offense was kick-ass. Yeah. So, like, why that all didn't come together, I, I don't know. But, like, that needs to be investigated, I think. And whatever changes that means in terms of, you know, to go back to Campbell's players, uh, plays, players, formations, plays, whatever it is, like, that's that's got to <laughs> – you know that thing. You know that, you know. I'm sure they're listening. Like, that's just got to be figured out to get the most out of those guys. And maybe, like, the offensive line – for the improvements we saw from this year, maybe that they still weren't great enough to facilitate all that going on. I don't know the answer, but I do know it feels like there was a lot of talent, especially at the skill positions, and Iowa State's offense never, in to my estimation, really operated at the level that you would expect given those truths. Yeah, quote-unquote maxing out. Yeah. Like Steve Prom says, as, as my man Tommy quote says. <laughs> Chris also wants to pile on Tom Manning. What coaches, coaching changes does Campbell need to make with the struggles on offense? Should OC be number one? <laughs> did he add Tom Manning? To he did not. Unless I cut it off when I copied and pasted. My my only the, to me the only thing that stands out where you're like, man, 
uh, some kind of coaching change needs to be addressed to special teams. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, we've got special teams questions, but that's an, that's something worth uh, discussing. But, uh, but I will say, I don't think when you look up and down the coaching staff, you're uh, like, oh man, they need a new offensive line coach, or they need a new offensive coordinator, or you're not going to fire John Haycock. I mean, like a lot can change in coaching staffs. You could probably speak to this better than I can, but I absolutely get nothing of an inkling that there's going to be an overhaul. Yeah, the I mean, I, I, and I don't personally think that that is even necessary or called for, frankly. Yeah, I mean, like, do things need to improve? Sure, every every program's going to need that. But like, when you look at this, do you look at like the other programs that we see across the country where they're firing their coordinators? Like, that's something has to go really wrong for that to happen, and the head coach usually has to be under extreme pressure. And that's obviously not the case at Iowa State right now. So I just I, I don't really see that happening. Um, our man Adam Ring wants to uh, push back a little bit on uh, Brian Kelly. Would Co College have put up more of a fight? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't, unless Fred Jackson was suiting up in two thousand two. Kerry Bender, I, I think, was a, a stud running. I don't know. Stud who that running is. back. I did like a top one hundred college players, and I think he was from Co. I'll take your word for it. I, don't, I do know they are the Cohawks and that Fred Jackson. They're, they're off, you know who their offensive coordinator is at Co? No. Brady Rohat. Is that uh, Grant Rohat's brother? Maybe they don't, don't uh, rule out the Cohawks, I guess. I, I will say could have been worse than today. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, Eric Borsath, what happened to the back end of the defense? Beat deep a lot and lots with wide receivers open the past two months. I don't know about the past two months consistently all the time, but that's, definitely. That's today in November, essentially. Yeah. yeah, I would say definitely today, but I kind of go back to that break, you know, bend up but don't break philosophy where that defense was out there so much. We did see guys like Braxton Lewis continually get burnt throughout the season. Obviously, you're having to replace some pretty big-time guys in the secondary from last season with Brian Peavy and um, uh, who, who else am I missing? Um, uh, you know. I'm not going to help you out here. <laughs> I'm let you hem and off all over the cycle and slam podcast. DeAndre, DeAndre Payne. De- DeAndre Payne. So, I mean, like, I, not, I thought they played. I thought they played well. I mean, they were fine. And yeah. like the other thing too, we talked about Purdy potentially being dinged up. His uh, Greg Eisworth was never healthy. It felt like all season long. Yeah, but it, he was still better than anything else legit. you had to had to go out. There. But to I guess to transition then to the next question from Ted Rube: Why have the Cyclones' takeaways plummeted? so dramatically this season how do we fix that in 2020 maybe if i feel like eyesworth if healthy is more of a ball hawk than we saw this year yeah maybe that helps some but of it's just bad luck so back to my point like i don't you can have an an aggressive defense you can emphasize trying to strip the ball play for interceptions but some of that is just like you're gonna get unlucky or you're gonna get lucky sometimes and i think building a defense around takeaways especially in college where you are really you know, if you're the Ravens in 2001 and you know you got Ed Reed and Ray Lewis and Tony Saragusa and all the other guys that were on that Some team for like five <laughs> to seven years of their prime, like you can build around trying to create turnovers. I just I don't think that's super the way to do things at, at the college level. Like you can you can emphasize it, but to count on it 
as like a core fundamental of your defense, I just don't think that that's feasible. Yeah, but the the, the frustrating thing has got to be that you have put your guys in the position. They're, they are there to make the play. It's just finishing it. Like, I, I, I joke about it, but I think there is some seriousness to Iowa State leading the universe and missed interceptions. Like, what, what more can you do as a coaching staff if you are – Put if they are in that situation and they start doing it. Okay, but that's my point. Is yeah. that you're still get like that's still a successful defensive down if you drop an interception, right? It's an incomplete pass. Yeah, that's that's a good outcome for you. Is it the optimum outcome? No, but I don't. I think if you build a defense where you need optimum outcomes instead of just good outcomes, and, and I don't. I, let me rephrase that. I'm not building not building a defense, but building a winning overall strategy about needing to create three turnovers a game like I don't think that's super feasible but like because you need to just be able to take good when great isn't always available I mean the other problem too is the fact that Iowa State was constantly turning it over too not just this game we saw so many times throughout the season obviously the big game you think about is Oklahoma State you know with three interceptions that's what doubles down on that problem of counting on getting those turnovers is you also have to play flawless football, which Iowa State never did outside the Louisiana-Monroe game, which does not really count in the grand scheme of things. Just like an L is an L, a dub is a dub. <laughs> um, you're not going to believe this. we got another question about Tom Manning. <laughs> Jake Simon. Tom, Tom may not want to listen to this. I know he's an avid Cyclone Slam <laughs> Would one of you please ask why Manning is so married to the idea of running on second and ten? Someone has got to answer that. It's mind-boggling. And I think this is a very fair critique of Iowa State's game planning. They run a lot on second and long, and the numbers all suggest that is a uh, – deficient uh, plan of attack. And it, we should note that we aren't there, so we cannot yeah. ask them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're doing this from my uh, kitchen in Des Moines. So. Fair question, yeah. but Iowa State has been doing this for a while, too. So is it a Tom Manning thing or is it a Matt Campbell thing? Nonetheless, it is a problem, I think, with the play calling. It, uh, right up there with doing funky things inside the 20s. To flip this to something more in my wheelhouse, to me, running on second and long feels a lot like taking long twos. Midway, mid-range yeah, it just, yeah, it's just, it's, sometimes it works, but most of the time it's just statistically not the best move. It does not give you the best opportunity to convert on the next down, on third down, which is the money down, the situation of football. And in, in, let's be honest, too, for as good as Brees Hall was this season, he's not David Montgomery. Too, no, you know? and like he's still a true freshman. Like the kid's yeah. gonna be really good. Like I have very little doubt about that. Assuming that they can get an average offensive line in front of him next year, he's gonna be he's gonna be very very good. But how many? Uh, that just but you're not you're not times, handing him the ball and say go get this done for us. Yeah, like you countless times we're seeing I was saying third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, just horrible situations where they're just screwing themselves over. All right, you have like literally 15 seconds. I'm setting a timer to answer this next question, and it's got to be spoiler-free. And if it goes 16 seconds, I'm throwing you out. Evan Davis asked, <laughs> since there basically wasn't a football game, what are your thoughts on Rise of Skywalker? Very and good. Time starts now. Very good. Uh, some great cameos, epic ending, and some unpredictable parts. You said no spoilers, right? Yeah. 
Uh, you got five seconds. Great lightsaber scenes. You done? Yeah. All right, you came in at 12. <laughs> uh, and those were all good nuggets. All right, so to go back now, we have uh, a dual question here. One from BV88, followed up by Matt Newtsman. What do you think BV88? I don't really want to know, frankly. It's the internet. It's probably <laughs> weird. Uh, BV88 says the special team coach needs left there. We got, we got, a, we got some bad news for BV88. <laughs> and uh, Matt Newtsman wants to know which coach is in charge of special teams. It's kind of been a collective effort. Yeah, there is that, no special teams yeah, coach. I think the, the so person, he can't be left there. Sorry, yeah. BVA. They, it was Joe Houston. Joe Houston ended up getting demoted. Let's be clear. I, Iowa State struggled in special teams last season, too. When Iowa State, I, I keep going back to two years ago. I feel like that's when Iowa State did everything that you talk about, Matt, you know, that we've talked about Matt Campbell preaching for his program. Winning the turnover margin, winning in the margins. Iowa State did all that. Iowa State was great in special teams two years ago. Um, this year, I thought was just an epic problem for most of the season. You had kickoffs go out of bounds. You had, uh, you know, Iowa State anything outside of forty yards, you cringed. You had no idea if it was if it was going to be successful. Today, you had a, a, a fumble on a punt return. The Iowa game, you lost on special teams, too. You, it needs to be addressed. Yeah. The second you are losing a football game on special teams, it's got to be addressed. Well, and especially, like, for years, there never really was a special teams coach on most programs. But since they added the, what is it, 11th coach, 12th coach, 13th yep. coach? I can't remember. 15. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, this is like a freaking small army of football coaches. It's this... And yeah, whatever. Um, anyway, uh, since they added that extra coach, that's becoming more and more the industry norm, and I think that's something Campbell will have to look at. Um, I don't know that you have to have one, but even it, kind of addressed it towards the end of the season. It, it was kind of defensive at first. To me, just from an optic standpoint, in your locker room and outside it, it's kind of hard to say we emphasize and take special teams seriously. When you don't have a special teams coach, and other programs do. When you had fewer coaches, I think that makes sense that it's a patchwork type of deal because you, you need a linebacker's coach more than you need a punt return coach and on and on down the line. At one point, you had a special teams coach yeah. too. And so I just I think it's after this year and with and just the way that the, the sport is going, to me that makes sense. But to that same point, this is also the same coach that went an entire year without an offensive coordinator. So, like, I, I don't think – like, Matt Campbell's going to do whatever he wants to do, whatever he thinks is best for the football program. I don't think he'll be reactionary to to this, but I, I think if you look at this with a critical eye, and I have a lot of confidence that that's how Campbell spends his offseasons, that that's going to – one way or another, I think they're going to want to address and improve the execution and consistency of special teams. If if you don't go out and hire somebody and name that person as your special teams coordinator, at least tack on the title to 
somebody on staff to let everybody know, like, okay, this guy is in charge. It's not going to be Golish. It's not going to be Campbell. It's not going to be Gordon. It's not going to be all these guys having the collective effort. Yeah, but then, like, if if you give it the one guy the title who's not actually <laughs> in charge, like, if stuff well, I'm saying if stuff may- goes badly, then that's the dude who gets like you probably don't, if you're not actually in charge, you probably don't want the title. Because- but that's that's what I'm saying. You make so- you actually make somebody in charge of it. Yeah, I mean, Golish, like, I think or even Golish, Campbell. I think Golish did special teams at Illinois. I'd have to yeah. double check. I mean, even but. Campbell could be the special teams coach. Like that gives yep. you essentially a third coordinator. You know, if you if he wanted to go that route, I don't know that he does. And obviously, like being the head coach of a Big Twelve football team is job enough without uh, being a special teams coordinator. But back to my other point. Like, he was essentially their offensive coordinator for one year. <laughs> well, I mean, they're hiring us as the offensive coordinators next season, so you have an opening now. <laughs> and, and probably a much bigger budget. So, yeah, so that's the, that's the rest of our questions. You got any other – I guess let's spin it forward to 2020. How much, <clears throat> how much, if any, does this loss to Notre Dame tamp down or recalibrate expectations, or are we, are we destined to overestimate – that this has any influence whatsoever on 2020. Me, it definitely, if we're going, and we spent a lot of time talking about the idea that this could jumpstart your 2020 season. So if you're going to have that argument that can have a positive impact on your team moving forward, you can't ignore the fact that it can have a negative impact. If it's going to have an impact one way or another, then yeah, I, I think this is something you worry about that stings. It definitely leaves a sour taste in your mouth as you head into the offseason. I think it polarizes some of the issues moving forward that you have as a football team that need to be addressed. We talked about special teams. We talked about, um, you know, uh, Tom maybe, Manning. Yeah, Tom, <laughs> Tom Manning. Talked a lot about Tom Manning. <laughs> uh, just maybe the defensive philosophy. But now there are going to be other. I mean, the offensive line was, for the most part, I thought pretty good this year. But I think this last game showed. Like, okay, it wasn't perfect. You know, it it was far from great this season. These guys that are manning the offensive line right now, you're going to have to overhaul that offensive line. And the defensive line is going to have some massive changes to it too. How's this for a a hot take that I actually think is maybe true? Not like a hot take that you just say to get people all hot and bothered. (laughs) This is going to be the biggest challenge to Iowa State's culture <clears throat> under Campbell since they went three and nine. Yeah, I think Matt Campbell is kind of fighting that it's it's kind of like weight loss when you Oh when, boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Everybody buckle in. Here comes a birchy metaphor. We we this could get very strange very quickly. When when you've got a ton of weight to lose, it's easy to shed the first, you know, few pounds, but then once you're you're really starting to get fit. You know, it's hard to turn that corner. Like, I think Campbell is kind of realizing that last step in the building process. So you're saying really tough. You're saying Campbell's working on his six pack right now. Yeah, he looks good. <laughs> he's just got to. <laughs> he, he is finding out that, hey, it, it, it was. I don't want to say it was easy because, man, it, it is difficult where Iowa State was to where they are now. Going from. Three and nine to seven and six is a lot harder than going from seven and six to eleven Absolutely. and two. Is what you're saying? Absolutely. So like, I I, I, I <laughs> waded through the the weirdness that was that metaphor and got there. 
But back to good but match. back to my point before you hijacked it with whatever the hell that was. <laughs> I why I think this might be the hardest or the biggest test of the culture since that end of the first season where you had to you didn't have a lot of validation for what they were trying to do. You needed guys just to buy in on faith, which I think Campbell's talked a lot about before they got. I think you're going this is going to be a test because you're going to have a lot of negativity from the outside. And you're probably going to have a lot of disappointment on the inside for how this season went. <clears throat> how, how do you respond to that? And I think how you respond to things is a testament to character, is a testament to resiliency, which all those things are what make up your locker room culture. How they, Whether they come out with a chip on their shoulder or whether they come out bitter, whether they come out motivated or they come out uh, discouraged, I think that that is going to test that locker room culture like it hasn't been tested since the end of that first season. And that, that's not a commentary at all about the strength of the culture or anything like that or the, the character of the players. I think just the reality of this is, given where they are and where they're trying to go, what happened over the last month and a half, of the, or whatever happened this whole season and how it ended with the K-State game and with this game against Notre Dame, I think this is where it could be an inflection point on how they respond to it can really dictate which fork in the road they take here because there's going to be this is again to go back to basketball for a second I remember after Iowa State lost that UAB game I remember saying like they got to be really good next year and this is before (laughs) but like they got to be really good next year or things are going to get toxic because people saw how good that team was what potential they had and they failed to reach all those things and they're going to go into next season on edge and if things turn against them in the first week, the second week, in that first month in September, things on the outside are going to turn nasty quickly. And when that becomes overwhelming, it's really hard to keep that out of your locker room. And I think they're going to have – it's going to be easier to keep it out of the locker room in the, the winter and the spring, but it's still going to be a thing they need to do because I can't imagine – because there's going to be negativity around this team from the outside, you know, from uh, idiots like us, from – people on Twitter, Facebook, walking to class, going on spring break. Like it's just, there's going to be a bad taste left in people's mouth. How do you push that aside and move forward and use this as a a building block to 2020 is their toughest test from a culture standpoint since trying to get guys to buy in on faith after what were they three and nine? Yeah. I feel like it's already been trending that way though, because I think no matter what, if Iowa state would have won this game, I feel like there's a large portion of this fan base that would have felt like, man, this is still a team that underachieved. This is not a team that reached. Yeah, but you beat the 15th ranked team in the country in a bowl game. Like you're feeling probably like, hey, we didn't live up to expectations this year, but look at what who we are. At least and what we have coming. And like you're feeling good about what you had coming back. Even if today was competitive, yeah, I think people would have been like, okay, like disappointing, but whatever. But they got you know they got it handed to them. And again, like for whatever that's worth, like there is a psychic cost involved, I think, in a performance like today. How long you let it linger ultimately uh, decides that expense. But, you know, you, you got to get through it. And like that's just the, the job of football coaches who are paid $4 million a year and coordinators that make 800000 a year and players on scholarship. Like this is not a unique situation for Iowa State, but that doesn't make it any less difficult and important to persevere through. What's the hashtag going to be? <laughs> that, that's the see. This is why I'm so happy that we're all on the same uh, team now. As I get to, 
I don't even know. I just get to, you get to ask those questions. Like that, uh, the important because stuff. It, because don't it, ask why they run on second and ten. What the hell is the hashtag gonna be? Well, I would ask if I was there, but I'm not there. So now I have to ask these questions in internal. I, I, do you want to speculate on we the do hashtag? Jo- we do joke about it, but I do think it sheds some light onto at least what those internal expectations are for the program. The idea that this year was prove it was to show that they actually have expectations for themselves. And you can't tell me that there's anybody in that room that believed the expectations were for them to win seven games. No, and I don't even know that we got out in front of our skis. I picked them to win 10 games. I still don't feel like I was at like, whoa, I screwed that up. I did not. I, 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 I think I had them winning around nine games, and at least I, I did not have them winning. What the hell getting is a round nine games? <laughs> is, that, is that 10? Is I can't, that, well, I'm saying I can't remember <laughs> what it was. I did not have them going to the Big 12 championship game like I think a lot of people did. I always thought next year is – is the year. I picked them to win 10 because I thought the schedule set up really well for them, like where the road trips were against sure. first team or first year head coaches. Um, and you get Texas coming in. and That's what I see. That's a good and, point. And too. maybe you shouldn't prognosticate based on schedule, but like that's to me, I was like, man, like they got talent. They got some experience coming back in the schedule. It sets up nicely. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case next year. I mean, you look around the Big 12, and I remember going to Big 12 Media Days two years ago and writing that Iowa State's window was open now. And you don't know how long that window is because Baylor was a program that was trying to regain its footing. Uh, Oklahoma was going through a, a coaching transition. Uh, K-State had Bill Snyder kind of with one foot out the door. You knew that program was going to have to reshuffle the deck at some point. Well, now that kind of all that's happened, I mean, Lincoln Riley's turned Oklahoma into a powerhouse. Baylor is now back to its prominence in the Big 12. K-State hasn't missed a beat. Um, Texas, that's an entirely different story. But at that, some that point, that is a story of the head coach flipping off cameras. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point now, you're going to have West Virginia and you're going to have Texas Tech kind of reemerge. And if you're Iowa State, at some point, I fear if you're an Iowa State fan, you're going to look back on this two year window and be like, man, there were some real golden opportunities that you did not capitalize on in the Big 12 while there were so much um, unknowns, I guess. All right. We'll leave on a, uh, I don't know. Here, I have one question. On a scale of one to <laughs> ten, we, we know Matt Campbell signed a one-year extension. We don't know exactly what that entails in terms of buyout or salary or anything like that. On a scale of one to ten, how um, intense do you expect the speculation about him potentially being linked to other jobs not taking other jobs not if he's looking around i'm saying the speculation that he'll be linked to other jobs on a scale of one to ten and i'm and i'm probably leaning towards nfl here with this question yeah yeah Uh, like how what are you asking do you think like he will be a a at the center of heavy speculation for other jobs specifically the nfl yeah i think maybe around seven because i've reported last year six nfl teams have reached out to campbell and how different is this season from last season? I think NFL teams don't really look at the season in general. I think they look at Matt Campbell and see a program builder, a guy that um, 
probably translates well to the NFL. I think they, and I think there is still that level of looking at a lot of people are going to look at him and say, Oh my God, he won seven games at Iowa state. They are going to know what maybe the realistic expectations were to this program. But I think the fact that Matt Campbell was at least approached about seven or six jobs last season. And for the most part, at least my belief is for the most part, shot those down at some point the NFL, you know, I think a lot of teams are going to be like, okay, shot down six jobs last year. How much is he going to be linked this year? He will be linked. I mean, the, the one job I think you keep a, a, a close eye on the Brown job is probably going to open back up. That's something I would, I would probably, at least that's probably the one job I would be cautious of. But I, I, I would feel very, very confident in saying Matt Campbell will be back next year. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the smart money. It, to me, the more interesting thing would be just how, how much does he get tied to jobs, whether it's factual or, or speculation. I guess was more the question you, you answered it with. A yeah, statement. yeah, and it, I mean he's, he's an easy pick because he's young. He's successful, and uh, you know the uh, right there. Those two reasons are why people are going to be intrigued by him, and he is highly respected by NFL people, um, NFL personnel that come through for Iowa State's pro days or NFL teams that come in to <coughs> talk to prospective players, watch prospective players, love the way he runs that program, the way he runs in practice, the way. He coaches an Iowa State team. And seven wins, while it may not have met the expectations of fans, media members, NFL teams aren't going to care about that as much. We done here? I don't know. You tell me. I, I think we're done here. Um, Notre Dame 33, Iowa State 9 in the prestigious, well-regarded, extremely exciting Camping World Bowl. That's what it's called, right? Camping World Bowl. <laughs> Um, they gave away a, a camper. Now we're talking. <laughs> Iowa State finishes the season seven and six, lost its last two games of the year. We'll look ahead more to 2020 as the, the winter goes on and spring practice starts in a couple months. Um, otherwise, stay glued to AimStrip.com, DeMoinRegister.com, all these uh, various podcast feeds that we have going on. Uh, to stay up to date all winter long on football, basketball, the whole deal. Uh, appreciate everybody f- who followed along this season across all our platforms is the, uh, I think, the, the nom de guerre there. Um, we appreciate it. He's Tommy Birch. I'm Travis Hines. This has been the Cyclone Slam podcast brought to you by Ames Ford Lincoln. Thank you, and we will catch you next time.